0: This week, this week is Thanksgiving and um, we're going to head out for a week's vacation and we're going to go to Virginia to spend time with our daughter in Virginia. And we're leaving our house in, in, uh, in the charge of our oldest child, so we hope, maybe you'll keep track of her, that she doesn't party when, you know, you leave kids when you're on vacation and it's hard to know what they're going to be doing. I'm amazed at Thanksgiving every year. I used to just take that totally for granted, and uh, when I became a follower of Christ, I realized this Thursday will be paid to be thankful. And think how many people, and uh, sometimes even atheists say they're thankful, and yet who are they thankful to? How can you give thanks if you don't give thanks to a person, to someone? But anyway, I hope you'll... uh, Enjoy your time uh, on Thanksgiving and being thankful. Journalists, uh, we're in Acts chapter 25 today. I want to invite you to turn there with me, Acts chapter 25, as we look at obstacles or opportunities. Journalist Alex Stone reported in the New York Times uh, that a Houston airport Faced a cascade of passenger complaints. I don't know if you've ever had to go wait at a baggage claim and just wait for your luggage to come. But they were getting a huge number of complaints from their passengers about long waits at baggage claim. And so the airport decided to hire more baggage, and they went below the average, industry average of eight minutes, you know, having to stand at the baggage claim for eight minutes. And they, they, they dropped below that, and they were really satisfied with their work. But the complaints persisted, and it didn't make sense to the executives, and so they began to investigate a little bit. And they found out that it only took one minute to walk from the uh, arrival gate from the plane to the baggage claim, and those poor people had to stand for seven minutes, and that was uh, causing a great deal of stress. So to solve this problem, the airline executives tried an innovative solution. They moved the arrival gates far away from the baggage claim. So it took much longer to deplane and walk to the baggage claim. In fact, it worked so well that when people arrived at the baggage claim, their luggage was often ready for them, or it was a very short wait. In the very same uh, New York Times article, Stone interviewed MIT operations researcher Richard Larson, who is considered the world's leading expert on waiting in lines. I didn't even know we had world experts on waiting in lines. Essentially, he says, we tolerate occupied time, like walking to the baggage claim, far better than unoccupied time, like standing at the baggage claim. If we have something to do, the wait is endurable. However, when we move into the spiritual realm, waiting on God often seems like unoccupied time. But it is not. Because it really depends. Are we invested in us? Is our, are we occupied with our own wants and desires and needs, or are, you, are we occupied with him? We left the Apostle Paul at the end of Acts 24, waiting at the baggage claim of life. He has been standing at the baggage claim, waiting at the baggage claim for two years. Remember that? Uh, In Acts 21, Paul, this little review here to catch us up to Acts 25, in Acts 21, Paul arrived in Jerusalem, it was a great opportunity, he gave to people in need, a large financial gift to, to Jerusalem with him, and gave to people in need in Jerusalem, and he had an opportunity to worship at the temple, which he highly valued, and he got arrested at the temple on false charges. In Acts 22, Paul speaks to the crowd at the temple. And a riot breaks out, and the Romans have to come and kind of arrest him and take him away to protect his life. In Acts 22, Acts 23, Paul defended himself before the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin of Jerusalem, to assassinate Paul. And so the Roman commander, Lysias, takes Paul from Jerusalem to Caesarea, the Roman fortress. In Acts 24, Paul is tried before Felix, the Roman governor. And we're going to leave uh, Paul in Acts 24, verse 27. And it says this, When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. So it was politically expedient to leave Paul behind and Paul is in a waiting room for two years. And we come to Acts 25. And I'd like to read that first portion. So please uh, follow if you have your scripture or open up your uh, really smart phone to uh, Acts 25. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus a, and Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They urgently requested Festus. As a favor to them, to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the man there, if he has done anything wrong. After spending eight or ten days with them, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul appeared, the Jews, who had come down from Jerusalem, stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Then Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the law of the Jews, or against the temple, or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me, or where I ought to be, I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But, if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his council, he declared, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. So, that brings us to Acts chapter 25. And in verses 1 through 12, the passage I just read, we have the strategic appeal, so you can follow on your outline if you like, because you know you're going to be a much better learner if you're following on an outline. And if you take notes, your learning will even go up like this. Okay, here we go. The new problem is verses 1 through 3. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. I think we have a map. Okay. So, do you remember Felix? Felix got, that uh, was laughing, and Felix was a Roman governor. He had this wonderful wife named Drusilla, and uh, Felix got ousted as a Roman gover- he, governor. He got called to Rome, and uh, his position was taken away, and he was replaced by Portius Festus, the new governor. And so, um, remember Paul once had been in Jerusalem, he was arrested in Jerusalem, he was taken by a military, uh, 470 troops left Jerusalem at 9 o'clock at night, and they headed for Caesarea, it's a two-day trip, and Paul was delivered safely at the Caesarea, put in the Roman fortress for two years, okay, so, um, Festus is this brand new governor, and, um, the amazing thing is, and we don't know a lot about he arrives, he seemed to be efficient, he seemed to be decent, but he arrives, you know, comes into port, probably from Rome, he arrives in Caesarea, and he, it takes him three days to get things in place, and he goes right to Jerusalem, that's the hot spot, that's where there's going to be political intrigue, that's where there's going to be tensions, and that's where if violence breaks out, it's going to be in Jerusalem, and he goes right there, right away. Verse 2, this is where the chief priests and Jewish leaders appear before him. So he arrives in Jerusalem, and right away, the chief priests want an audience, and the Jewish leaders, members of the Sanhedrin, and they presented their charges against, against Paul. They have not forgotten about Paul. Paul's been gone for two years, but now's their chance. We've got a new governor. We might be able to influence him. Verse 3, they requested Festus as a favor to them. Paul got left in jail for two years because, as a favor to the Jews. You know, it's like we, we got to appease these people. Paul's not done anything wrong, but we got to be careful how we treat Paul. During an ambush to kill him along the way, the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, the chief priests are in this group. And they're planning to kill Paul. Probably not a highly spiritual thing to do. And uh, it shows their motive all all along. They want a favor, but there's a plot to kill Paul again. And then um, verses 4 through 6, the new arrangements. Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea. I myself am going there soon. So Festus is new. And he's pretty smart, and he thinks about this. Now, wait a minute. We have already transferred Paul from Jerusalem. We invested 470 troops. That's quite a bit of uh, energy, uh, resources to give to this prisoner. And he is safely in prison in Caesarea. Why in the world do I want to bring troops to Jerusalem for another? It doesn't make sense. It's unnecessary. It's a waste of time. So, verse 5 He says, Let some of your leaders come with me. Seems wise. And if the man has done anything wrong, they can press charges against him. Simple, straightforward, and sensible. Verse 6, After spending eight or ten days with them, Luke wasn't counting, Festus went down to Caesarea. The next day he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. So Festus, the Roman governor, spends about a week or so in Jerusalem, and he figures out the lay of the land, he figures out the political um, environment there, what are the important issues that he must address, and so right away, he gets he gets back to, to Caesarea, and he convenes the court in the order that Paul be brought, he's very efficient, he wants to resolve this issue soon, new trial, verses 7 and 8, first the prosecution, by the way, this is really getting old for Paul, isn't it? Put yourself in Paul's place. Man, he has been harassed. He's been... And how many trials has he... How many times have they tried uh, to put him away and has he had to defend himself publicly? Once again, verse 7. When Paul came in, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem... Remember that coming down and going up? Jerusalem is to the south. Caesarea is northwest, and it's always about the elevation of Jerusalem. It's elevated because it's the temple. It's elevated because it's higher elevation. It's appropriate terminology. When, when Jewish people uh, spoke about Jerusalem, so all these Jews are st- standing around uh, Paul, and uh, they're bringing charges. They brought many serious charges against him, but they could not prove them. So Luke is giving us a capsule summary of the prosecution, charge after charge after charge against Paul, serious charges, That's probably uh, against, uh, well, Paul's going Paul's to list them off. It's against Caesar. It's going to be against Rome, charges against uh, the temple in, in, in Jerusalem, and uh, charges against the Jewish law of Israel. They brought many serious charges against him, but they could not prove them. And that's the point here. There was no proof. There's no real evidence. There are no clear witnesses. Uh, And then Paul gives the defense in verse 8. He says, I have done nothing wrong about the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. He he goes through all three. And uh, again, capsule, summary, Line upon line, Paul defended himself before um, this this group, before uh, Festus, the, the new governor. Verse 9, a new venue is recommended, Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor. That's the third time since verse 27 that this idea of doing... Um, wishing to do the Jews a favor... Festus said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Festus now has a change of heart. He now understands the political situation much better. He now understands the pressure pressure that the Jewish leaders are bringing. He now understands the favor that he could accomplish by letting Paul go to Jerusalem to stand trial before him. He's willing to go 65 miles, two-day journey back to Jerusalem and then have Paul transported under military uh, escort. Why? To wash his hands of Paul. Just like 30 years earlier, another Roman governor washed his hands because he couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus. And... There are no clear charges against Paul. And Festus, wanting to grant a favor, wanting to find a way out that will remove him of responsibility, Ask Paul. But it's nice that he asked instead of just doing it. But he had to ask. Because why? Because Paul's a Roman citizen. Paul gets a choice in this. verses 10 and 11 the new appeal Paul answered I am not am I now I am now standing before Caesar's court I don't have to go to Jerusalem to stand before Caesar's court I'm standing before Jer- Caesar's court right now this is a Roman court I have not done wrong I have not done any wrong to the Jews as you yourself know very well Festus you may if I'm not telling the truth and you there are, do, you have other information that serving of death, I do not refuse to die. That is pretty bold. And often you stand before a Roman governor and offer to die for Jesus. Because that's what Paul's doing. He, if he is to put to death, it's because he's a follower of Jesus, not because... He's a traitor to Rome, not because he's disobeyed the law, not because he's desecrated the temple, but because he's a follower of Jesus. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right. Festus, not even you, no one has the right to turn me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. That was a powerful statement. A huge change in the course of events. Paul is a Roman citizen. And he has to appeal to his emperor, which requires that he be taken to Rome and stand trial in Rome, which creates quite a situation because that means all those people who have charges against Paul also have to go to Rome, and they also have to wait around until the emperor is willing to hear their case. He appeals To Caesar he wants to go to Rome he wants to appear before the emperor and you know who the emperor is his name is Nero at this point in history this is around 60 AD Christian persecution in Rome starts seriously in 64 AD under Nero but not at this point when Paul wants to go to Rome now He's expecting to have Roman law and Roman justice to be reasonably fair. New ruling, verse 12, after Festus had conferred with this council, he declared uh, you have appealed to Caesar to see. This is the Mediterranean Sea, the Mediterranean world. This is the New Testament world right here. The churches we know in the New Testament are on this map. So Jerusalem is where uh, the temple is, Caesarea is where Paul is currently in prison, and Rome is to the end of the earth in the first century. It's about as far away from Jerusalem as you can get in, in ideas. So that's where Paul appeals, that's where he's going to go, and that's where we're going in the book of Acts. Acts. Royal consultation, verses 13 through 22. Paul's appeal to Caesar. The situation now, verse 13. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice, Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Who is King Agrippa? He's King Agrippa II. He's Herod, King Agrippa II. His dad is Herod King Agrippa I who killed uh, James, the brother of John, one of the original disciples. He's the one who put Peter in jail in the book of Acts. He's also the one that put John the Baptist to death. That's his dad. His grandfather is Herod the Great. Herod the Great, is the one who tried to kill Jesus as a baby when the Magi came and said, we've seen his star and predicted the birth of a king. So he's from a a, solid family. He's about 30 years old. And he comes with Bernice. Who's Bernice? Well, Bernice is his sister. She's younger. Bernice is the sister of Drusilla, who, remember, uh, Felix had taken Drusilla as his wife, and she had been somebody else's wife. Drusilla is Bernice's sister. And according to the Roman historians, Agrippa II, for significant periods of Bernice, shared the same bedroom for significant periods of time wasn't a secret. So, King Agrippa is not much of a king. He's kind of a real small-time king. He's really a tetrarch. That's his most significant title because the kingdom got divided up into four parts, and he's a tetrarch. And uh, he was added a province northeast of Israel, a small province where he got the title king, and so now he's called king just like the rest of his uh, family, his his, uh, grandfather. He was Jewish, just like the other Herods. And also, because he was Jewish, he grew up in Rome Jewish, and uh, he was a family friend of the emperor, the emperor's family. And because he was a family friend, he got appointed to be the expert in charge of the temple treasury in Jerusalem. And he had... Because he has no other responsibility with the temple in Jerusalem. You know, how does that fit? He has no other responsibility in Israel. And uh, he, so he, according to the Romans, for the Roman perspective, Agrippa is the Jewish expert. And so uh, this is an opportunity for Festus to confide with the Jewish expert. Festus is the Roman. Verse 14, since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, there is a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. So he's going to go through the whole thing. Um, Verse uh, 15 through 21, the issues come out now. He says, when I went to Jerusalem, when Festus went to Jerusalem at the beginning of the chapter, the chief priests and the elders, chief priests. Chief priest is um, the new chief priest priest. Got it in a different place in my notes. The new chief priest, I think, is Ishmael. And that wasn't the chief priest before. The chief priest before was Ananias. They're both acting as priests right now. Ananias went on, even when he wasn't officially the priest, just like in the time of Jesus, where they had multiple chief priests um, really providing leadership. The official chief priest is Ishmael. So the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. So he's retelling the story. Verse 16, I told them this is not a Roman custom to hand over anyone before they have faced their accusers and have had an opportunity to defend themselves against the charges. Law is law in Rome. And there is some kind of a fair trial expected for Romans. Not necessarily for other people, but for Romans. Verse 17, when they came when they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. Festus pats himself on the back for being so efficient. Verse 18, when his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge an easy thing to solve as I had expected. Festus, thinking there's going to be an easy thing to solve, he's a smart guy, and he listens to all the charges, and guess what? There's a problem here because there's nothing really that stands firm. Verse 19, instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus of all people who Paul claimed was alive. How do you make sense out of that when they talk about somebody coming back from death? And Paul believes it. It Sure doesn't sound like a Roman problem to me. It doesn't sound like this guy is against Rome or trying to overthrow Rome. He's got religious ideas. But Festus had listened enough to understand some things about what Paul had believed. Verse 20, he's honest here. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters. I didn't have a clue. So I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem. Because he know what to do, verse 21. But when Paul made his appeal to held up, be held over to the emperor's decision, I, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. So, you know, it's pretty clear that Festus believes Paul is innocent. He doesn't know what to do. Here's his problem. All these charges have been brought. The defense has been made. There's nothing here he's guilty of. However, I could. Send, I wanted to send him to Jerusalem. He didn't want to go there, and now he wants to go to Rome. Now I got to send him to Rome because he's a Roman citizen. I don't know what to tell the, the emperor. He has to write up, you know, a paper to the emperor, and he has to explain legally. Why in the world they're sending Paul from Caesarea all the way? You better have a good reason if you're going to bother the emperor. You better know the law. You better know what you're doing if you're going to have a good reputation. And so Felix has got to figure this out, and he wants help. Verse 22, then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. So Agrippa is willing to help Festus. He replied, tomorrow you will hear him. So tomorrow comes, verses 23 through 27, and we're going to end the chapter with a pompous presentation. Verse 23 is the big to-do. Sure enough, here it is, the big to-do. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. So King Agrippa and Bernice come into this formal room where you have meetings like this and where the governor sits on a high throne as the judge. And the king and queen, gold, they come in in their royal, so they're the military officers, but what we what's not clear here in the English text is these are the highest ranking military officers in Caesarea. They are the commanders. This would include uh, Lysias' position. Lysias, uh, Claudius Lysias may have been here. Um, But these are commanders of a thousand uh, troops each. There were five of them uh, in Caesarea. So they are in their... Military regalia, the kinds of things that you wear at court. And then the prominent men of the city, the wealthy, the the influential, the upper crust. From the world standpoint, these are the rich and the powerful. Which, at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Paul, raggedy and this this is supposed to be kind of an impending powerful display of you know display of power and this lowly servant named Paul comes in and he is the ambassador for Jesus Christ lord of lords and king of kings and he stands before this powerful tribunal the, the one group is rich and famous in the world's eyes. The other group, Paul, is rich and powerful in God's eyes. Verses 24 through 27, the need for further investigation. I think it sounds like more waiting. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. That's intimidating. It's like, okay, we're all here now, and there's Paul right there. He's in chains. The whole Jewish committee has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. This is not like a good setup for Paul, is it? A good introduction. He said, verse 25, I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But the truth is, there's nothing deserving of death. But, verse 26, But I have nothing to write to His Majesty, meaning the Emperor. That's the problem. I don't know how to talk. I don't know how to tell the Emperor what this is all about. Therefore, uh, King Agrippa, I have brought him before all of you, especially you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. You know, it's got. I got. I got to finish my term paper tonight, and I really need your help. Verse 27. Uh, For I think it is unreasonable to send a prisoner to Rome without specifying the charges against him. Um, that's, that's the goal. Festus has to come up with some serious <laughs> reasons to send Paul to Rome. And that's what the passage is about next week, by the way, if you come back. not No, two weeks. It'll be two weeks we'll be back in Acts uh, 26. And Festus has to write a paper and send it to the emperor. And it's funny that he thinks it's unreasonable to send a prisoner to Rome because he might lose his job if he wastes the emperor's time. Okay, we, we only have one lesson today. And the lesson is this. God works through everyday circumstances to accomplish his purposes. I bet you already knew that. God works through... Your everyday circumstances, to accomplish His purposes. If we go back to Acts twenty five twenty five, and uh, Festus says, "I found that he does he made deserving of death," meaning Paul hadn't des- hadn't done anything deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I Festus decided to send him to Rome. Those are Paul's circumstances. In the hands of the Roman governor, the Roman governor says he has decided to send Paul to Rome. There's nothing wrong with Paul. So Paul is waiting. And Paul is going to continue to wait at the baggage claim of life. And uh, what's God doing? What's God doing while Paul waits? Let's go back to Acts 23.11. The following night, the Lord stood. This is while Paul was in prison, remember? The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, where he got arrested. So you must also testify, Paul, you are going. Paul, the big picture here is, Paul, you are going to run. my will kill you along the way. You are going to Rome. You are going to be my witness. You're going to tell people about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. All the way to Rome. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Really well-known passage. And, uh, you know, this gets misused and overused sometimes. And sometimes we just give people... Quick answers about every time they have difficulty. Oh, well, all things are worked together for those who love God. All things work together. Well, you know what? It's really, really true. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is working good through Paul's circumstances while he waits. God is working good for those who love him. It's exactly what's happening in the Apostle Paul's life. Matthew 10, verses 17 through 20. Early, those who would become apostles. Early, Jesus told his disciples, those who would become apostles, these words. He said, beyond your guard, you will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings. Huh. Governors and kings. Governors would be mostly Roman in the first century. And kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. You're going to be a witness. You're going you're to be called on to tell the truth. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. Next slide. Next slide, here we go. And at that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you, the Holy Spirit, spirit of your Father speaking through you. It will be the Holy Spirit. You walk with me. You're going to face some big difficulties, some huge obstacles, but there are going to be opportunities. And you're going to speak for me. Don't worry about it. Don't plan your speech ahead of time. You can count on that the Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak right on the spot. And then there's Luke 21. Now, this is the last week of Jesus' life. This is a different occasion. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. This is going to be toward the ends of their lives in the first century. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before Kings and governors, another reminder, kings and governors, all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. You're going to speak for Jesus, but make your mind up not to worry. Next slide. Beforehand, how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words, and Jesus said, I will give you the words. I will give you what you need. I will provide what you need on the spot. I just, I'm, I'm preparing you. I'm telling you ahead of time what's to come. I want you to know you're going to be able to count on me. One last verse, Acts chapter 9, verse 15. What the Lord said to Ananias. Okay, Acts 9 is when Saul of Tarsus comes to faith in Jesus Christ. He meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. Ananias is someone who goes to Paul's aid in order to further disciple him and deliver a message. And the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man, Saul of Tarsus, who will become Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. This is God working out his purposes while Paul waits. Come up with a If you were writing the script... If I were writing the script, I'm pretty sure I'd come up with another story, another way to do this, another way to speak before governors and kings. But well, this is what God intended for Paul's life. He's been waiting two years, and God has been working to accomplish his purpose. God has brought Paul the opportunity to speak before governors and kings, and he's headed to Rome to speak before the greatest earthly king in the world. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses. He said this to his followers. Here in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the story of the book of Acts. God is working out his purposes. He is going to go to the ends of the earth. He's going to speak before governors and kings and he's going to be a witness and he's going to speak the truth. He's going to tell the truth about what he knows about Jesus and what Jesus has done. So Paul is in a waiting time in his life. He's going to go to Rome and he's going to wait two more years there. He's only halfway. God is working out his purposes. Do you feel like you're in a waiting mode? Do you feel like you're at the baggage claim of life and nothing is occupying your time other than you're just waiting? That's how you occupy your time, how you focus. Is it about you and your waiting or is it about are you looking to see what God is doing As you wait, are you watching what God is doing? Okay, next week, uh, two weeks from now, we're going to be in Acts chapter 26. Next week, uh, Grant Eiley is going to be speaking for me, and uh, he's going to be in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, I just uh, thank you for your faithfulness to us. I thank you that as we study the book of Acts, we see uh, a lot of difficulties in in the lives of those who follow Christ, and yet you are working for good, and you are working to accomplish your purpose. Father, may we um, have that hope. May we be willing when we're in times of waiting to watch for how you are working in our lives, even when we're in times of waiting, when we're in times of difficulty and we don't understand the big picture. May we watch for you. May we wait for you to work and to accomplish your purposes and to answer prayers. And May our reputation be that of faith that we are trusting you. And we believe your promises for Jesus' sake.